Welcome to another episode of Live from the Blue Seas. I'm your host, Rob, joined as always by Becky, and today a special guest for this week's show, our Blue Sea Blogs colleague, Rob Luker. Uh, on today's show, we try to answer one simple question. What is wrong with the Rangers? Uh, sure, the record looks good. The goalie's been otherworldly, but Gerard Gallant was about as angry as you'll see a head coach after his team nearly blew a 4-0 lead to the Florida Panthers on Monday night, giving up 91 shot attempts in the process. You heard that correct. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But first of all, Rob, we welcome you into the show. You are uh, stepping in for a, uh, I don't know if we'll call him a healthy scratch on this week's show, but Dave has uh, he had some personal commitments uh, I believe he's going to see the latest Marvel movie, Eternals. I know nothing about that stuff, but we are very happy to have you uh, on the on the program this week. Uh, how's everything going? Hey, Becky. Hey, Rob. No, good. I'm glad I could pinch hit for Dave. Uh, we're not going to try to fully replace him, but I'm thinking at the same time it should be relatively easy given his uh, usual takes. But no, I'm just kidding. Uh, just happy to be here. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously for for folks who may not be you know, that uh, familiar with you and your your sort of take on the Rangers, I think, you know, it'd be good for you to sort of just give us a little bit of a, you know, maybe a little bit of a background, right? You know, w- what is your area of interest and expertise? Obviously, you, you, you do some regular writing for Blue Seat Blogs. Um, you've written in some other places as well. But maybe just give us a little bit of a window into your mind, how you think about the game and, and kind of what, you you know, people might expect to hear from you on the, on the show this time. Yeah. Um, no, it's a great question. I mean, really, it probably I mean, I, I grew up playing hockey, obviously, so that's a, that's an easy start. But from there, I really got interested for those that uh, don't follow me. But I've been actually on Twitter probably since 2007, 2008 and during the behind the net days. So I've always been interested in numbers. I think it's pretty logical that if you get more shots and scoring chances than the other team, typically you're going to have a good night. Uh, Florida maybe didn't, but we'll certainly dive into that. But um, yeah, I mean, I probably need to write more or I would like to write more, I should say, but um, I really do think that uh, numbers can certainly help you out. It's not everything, but as I said, I think we'll get into that a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to start with a quick recap of the last you know, week or so. We'll go with the last three games for the Rangers because um, they kind of tell the story. They paint a pretty... I think, rich picture of what's going on with this hockey team over the last, you know, so far this season, despite the record, right? The record's good. We know they're 7-3-3, three, and three, picked up plenty of points. That's very good news. Uh, we all know what Igor Shesterkin has done for them. But, um, you know, they obviously had the Edmonton game. They blew uh, a, multiple, a multi-goal lead in that game. They got flattened by Calgary. That was the last game of a long road trip. Um, and then, obviously, Monday night's game against Florida was a really interesting sort of case study in, in the, the Rangers so far. But let's start with the Edmonton game, Becky. And I think the, the, the thing that comes to mind, obviously, there is the McDavid goal that tied the game. But what was your overall thought just uh, on the Rangers in that game? How do you how do you think they played? And, you know, w- was that game kind of a turning point? Because I think, you know, yes, they'd blown a lead to Vancouver the night before, but or the game before. But that that Edmonton game, I think, really sat pretty wrongly with a lot of people, even though they did end up getting a point. So I didn't think it was a turning point um, necessarily because I didn't think that there was much that was happening there that hadn't really been happening. You know, like the 
look, I'm firmly in the camp of like, I will take wins. I will never look a win in the face, like, you know, like a gift horse, whatever. But um, I'll take them. However, they're not encouraging wins. And we've gone through this like ad nauseum. We've done this every week so far. And I don't want to reiterate, but um, I wasn't that concerned. Listen, Connor McDavid is head and shoulders the best hockey player right now, possibly ever. And it was honestly special to see him score that goal. And it reminded me actually a lot of when Tarasenko blew past McElrath, like 2014, I want to say. Like, I was at that game and I was like, I'm not even mad because it's just like it's watching someone who's so good at their craft do their craft. So I didn't really mind. What bothered me was that the next night or the next the next night was the next night that they get like flattened by Calgary, just absolutely embarrassed. And so, okay, you know, now you're going from like, you're kind of eking out wins to like, you're eking out an overtime loss to like, you're getting spanked, like absolutely spanked. So, uh, long, you know, like kind of Cliff's Notes version. I didn't think it was a turning point. I wasn't thrilled, but I also didn't think it was as bad as that Flames game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Rob, first of all, what was your reaction to the McDavid goal having played the game? We had some interesting discussions uh, in our in our Blue Seat Blogs chat, but, you know, generally on Twitter, some people were saying the Rangers should be embarrassed with the way they played defense on that. Obviously, it was a one-on-four. Other people were more on the camp of, hey, that is greatness operating at the absolute you know, peak of its uh, of its potential, as kind of Becky just said. Where do you come down on, on the McDavid play, and what were your larger thoughts on the Edmonton game? I mean, it's it's definitely got to be a bit of both, in my opinion. Um, you can't have a guy surrounded by four of your of the Rangers players, and somehow he still gets through. I mean, that being said, it's McDavid. I think I think the way I landed on it was if that was any if that had happened to any other team, we'd probably be you know, dunking on that team that exactly happened and just say that's that's McDavid being McDavid. So, I mean, I, I'm with Becky basically in the sense of when I saw that happened, I just, you know, you got to throw your hands up slash tip your cap and say that's just a great goal. Um, you know, I think there were definitely some larger concerns in the second half of that game that are a little bit more worrying than one individual effort by the best player in the world. Yeah, for sure. And what what were some of your concerns? And, and you know, I guess, you know, obviously they're borne out in the, in the numbers, which have been ugly, but, but what did you see – because I, I kind of felt it in that game more than more so than the other game. So, yeah, what did, what did you see? Well, I, I think the two main things that stuck out for me was, I mean, the Rangers certainly deserved to be up 20, 30 minutes into that game. I mean, yeah. they were hanging with yeah. an Oilers team that is seemingly pretty good. I don't think they're going to go anywhere away. I mean, they probably have some depth issues themselves, but <laughs> maybe not to the Rangers level. But, uh, I mean, they certainly – deserved to be up 3-1, 4-1 at the 30-minute mark into that game. It's just if you look at pretty much any of the numbers in the second half of that game, they went dead. Um, sure, they had – I mean, there wasn't actually a lot of penalties in that game, so there wasn't even a lot of special teams. But, I mean, that third period, they did not generate a lot of offense. So that's a major concern. And I think part of that is definitely the Goodrow, Miller – or uh, I'm sorry, Goodrow, Zibanejad, Ed Kreider combination. I mean – for a line that's getting close to 20 minutes a night, they're just not generating enough offense. And I think the Edmonton game was a pretty good example of that. And then, you know, they move on to Calgary again. We don't need to spend too much time on that, but they did get slaughtered by the Flames. Wasn't really close. Uh, I was actually at the game uh, at the Garden. I guess that was would have been 13, 12 or 13 days earlier. Uh, the Flames beat them 5-1 to one in that game, but that game was, was closer. The Rangers played 
all right. They gave up a lot of chances early in that game, but did settle in, made it 2-1 in the third, and then the Flames kind of ran away with it. I think the score, final score was a little flattering to Calgary uh, at the Garden, but what happened uh, in in Calgary over the weekend was was really difficult to to watch because you know it, it did seem like definitely a tired team, but you know I think Chris Kreider said after the game um, he almost I think was was frankly ashamed or felt guilty about how the Rangers had left Shesterkin out to dry in such a way that they did, especially in the third period of that game. I know it was a West Coast game as well, so a lot of especially East Coast fans probably would have turned it off. I know I did. I think at four nothing, so I missed uh, Milan Lucic scoring, which I think is the ultimate indignity at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, Becky, you know, just on the, on the Calgary game, is that was that a bad matchup for the Rangers? Was it the fatigue from the long road trips? They have played a lot of road games. It's not an excuse, but it is a reality of the situation. Um, I don't know. What what did you think about that one? It might be all of the above, but honestly, I was asleep before you were. I, <laughs> I don't I don't have the energy or the time for that kind of garbage. It just wasn't a good it was it was a bad game. The Flames played them really hard the last time and it wasn't that long before the game in Calgary. I don't like I should have their schedule up and I just don't. Um but they should have been better prepared, I think. Maybe they're tired. Yeah, I'm sure. It's exhausting. Like, we just had daylight savings time, and I am still not fully adjusted. Like, I'm still – my eyes are closing at 10 p.m. So, yeah, okay. It's definitely a factor. And they're human beings at the end of the day. It's not like they're robots out there playing. So, yeah, sure, okay. But, like, Calgary also had – like, you know, when they came to New York, they also were in a different time zone, and they didn't play, like, ass. So, I don't – I, I'm like, you know, I'm very, I've been very easy on them. And again, I'm still, I'm not saying that anything's a wash. There's, it's November, you know, we're recording this on November 9th. So in Jan- January 9th, we could be laughing at this and saying like, ha ha ha, they were so bad in the beginning of the season, but we're so grateful they got those points because now they've turned it around and it's not a referendum on the season, but they played piss poor against Calgary and they deserve the spanking that they got against Calgary and that's I don't think there's we should be looking for any kind of excuse for that yeah one of the things that I wanted to get your take on Rob was Daryl Sutter right because and and this is this is something that we'll come back to a little bit later as well with you know what effect does the coach have on a team from a not only a style of play I think that that is if they're a half decent coach there will be stylistic uh you know influence but Results-wise, right? I mean, Daryl Sutter obviously coached those LA LA Kings teams that won the Cup and were dominant, dominant, dominant puck possession teams. Like, first in Corsi every year, and everybody joked about it, but they ended up winning two Cups, right? And um, even against a very, very good Ranger team in 2014, they always were pushing the Rangers. You know, the Rangers were never comfortable against them. The puck was in their end a lot, especially when the, the Rangers did get leads they could not even, you know, a team that was pretty good, as I said, at defending leads and, and and generating offense while they had leads, couldn't do it against the Kings. And I always thought to myself that that was the Sutter influence. And I think we're seeing that with Calgary as well. Um, I, I don't know, you know, if you have the same thought there, but I, like I said, wanted to get your take on it. No, I, I 100% have the same thought. I mean, I think I tweeted a couple times in the game notes that I try to do. They're, they're just, they're playing Sutter hockey to a T. They're top five in both 
Corsi against, meaning shot attempts and also expected goals against. So they've got the defense down. They've got a pretty mature team to do that. And then on top of it, I mean, they actually (laughs) – they could argue some Kings teams. You you could argue from a talent standpoint that they've got some more talented forwards than some of those Kings teams. I mean, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess that's – I was going to compliment Calgary in that game. I mean, that was a buzzsaw for the back-to-back of the Rangers in the Western swing. Calgary has come out of the gates flying, and they're getting goaltending from Markstrom. So, I mean, what are you you really going to do there? The fact that actually the Rangers hung with them in the first is – somewhat impressive and i would just say kind of the second and third was probably a culmination of that whole western swing yeah i think that's right markstrom's been unbelievable as well i mean you know steve valiquette's been saying on the msg broadcasts that he's uh, he's got chesterkin one, uh, one and markstrom two in in the league so far so um you know whether or not that bears out over an entire season we'll see uh all right well let's move on to florida obviously that was monday night uh, you know, you folks listening to this will hear this on Wednesday. We're recording on Tuesday, so it was, it was last night. So still sitting pretty fresh with everybody. And, you know, my main thought on this, and, and I found it both uh, funny or, or I had multiple emotions <laughs> about it. It was funny. It was also comforting. It was also a little bit um, off-putting. But how angry both Gerard Gallant and Igor Shosturkin were after that game. So that's a win on home ice against a team – Previously, with no regulation losses, obviously the Rangers eke it out four to three. Um, but the goalie was so pissed off that he didn't come out for his first star skate around. Um, and the coach had a very short, terse press conference and basically said, "We played terrible, and I will, you know, I'll, I'll wake up tomorrow and be happy with happy we got two points." But I'm livid at the way the team played. I'm paraphrasing here, so. Um, it's like the reverse AV. I think Becky said that in the chat the night of. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's a that's a great place to start, right? Because and Becky, you you are a noted um, and justified uh, hater of Elaine Vigneault. But what do you think he would have said after that game? That's actually going to be my new Twitter bio: noted AV hater. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what do I think AV would have said after the game? Is that the question? Yes. Uh, <laughs> He probably would have been like, that was Igor's fault. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Like, oh, yeah, he should have, like, you know, like, not let in any. That last goal was totally Igor's fault. Like, he shouldn't have let that goal in. And how dare he? And he's so terrible. Or so, I don't, I really don't know. I really don't ever want to analyze what Elaine Pineau is going to say because the things that come out of that man's mouth just boggle my mind. No, he would have been he would have been happy. I mean, he would have been very happy about it. Like he would have been like, yeah, some some games are tougher than others and we beat Florida and maybe Florida's, you know, afraid of New York now or like, you know, some annoying BS that like makes you cringe. Like when John Cooper said that like his team was so bright you needed sunglasses and I'm like, who are you freaking Corey Hart? Like is this the <laughs> 80s? I don't what are we doing here? Um just so corny. I, you know, I don't know. I'm happy that Gallant was like that, but I also, you know, he's so fresh that I'm like, do I trust the process <laughs> to use an extreme hockey term? I don't know. No. Um, but he's what, 13 games in? Like, yeah. Okay. I like seeing that level of emotion. I like that Igor was like, F this, I'm not coming out. Although, 
I'm afraid he might have been like murdering his teammates. So, you know, like (laughs) as long as all Rangers are accounted for today, we're good. Yeah, it was a really just interesting scene. I mean, you could read the expression on Gallant's face when he left the bench after the game ended. He was just not happy. Um, Rob, what was your take on the the Florida game? I I mean, it's it 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 it, kind of speaks for itself, but putting it in perspective, it, it is one of their worst performances ever from a not outside everything outside of the result essentially um but but what you know what was your thought i mean i'll, I'll just, first of all I, I agree with you i mean I'm, i was glad to actually hear galant maybe speak a little truth that hey great we won but that wasn't pretty <laughs> and then but two it was kind of weird i'll just say kind of two things it was weird watching because you kind of knew they were getting beat but at the same time because of the ways they were scoring whether it was shorthanded or whatever it never felt like the Rangers were really going to lose or out of hand, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So yeah. that was true. definitely weird for me. But then the only thing I want to point out is between Edmonton, I mean, we're just talking about the last three games, Edmonton, Calgary, and Florida, three pretty good teams. The Rangers actually had good first five, 10 minutes, which I mean, yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe this is recency bias. It's kind of like the anti-Quinn a little bit <laughs> where they were asleep for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. <laughs> Uh, now we have another problem, which is they're falling asleep in the second or third period or for both periods now this season. But I just wanted to point that out because I think that's kind of if they can put some different combinations together eventually, that could be a good thing for this team that they're actually coming out flying. That's all. That's really all I wanted to get across. No, I think that's a really great observation. And I felt the same way, particularly about the Florida game. And then there was even one stretch in the second where I think they had scored the four on four goals, right? So they were up three, nothing. So they're feeling good about themselves. And Florida started to get, started to get a little cute with some neutral zone kind of cross ice passes. And the Rangers were in lanes actually breaking up plays before they got, you know, into their defensive zone and established. So, you know, and I think watching them, watching them, it's, it's, it's all about aggressiveness for me. And they, they seem to be, they just look like a tentative team for me, especially as you said, Rob, as the game goes on. You know, they, they, Gallant keeps saying, well, you know, we kind of, uh, he likes to say the first period's a feeling out process in a lot of these games, but the Rangers actually looked pretty ready to play um, and, and are aggressive early. And then they seem to lose that aggressiveness as the game goes on. The other thing that I noticed, and I think that this will sort of speak to some of the wider, you know, how can the Rangers fix this uh, issue, you know, they got goals last night on some pretty incredible individual plays, right? So I think what, what what the reason that, and this is one of my reasons for optimism with this team is there's so much high-end talent spread throughout the roster. Now, look, there's definitely depth issues on the wing. Um, the bottom six is pretty good at actually possessing the puck, but it doesn't look like it's going to ever score, especially with Filipino out of the lineup. Um, but, but the... Um, you know, you've got Panarin, um, you've got Adam Fox making magic, you have Keandre Miller scoring an incredible end-to-end rush goal. You know, even the goal disallowed was an amazing, you know, sort of uh, re- regroup and, and pass to Panarin, which, uh, you know, w- it's a shame that that was taken off the board for an offside challenge. But uh, there's so much individual skill on the team that it, it seems to me more of an issue of, you know, complementing that skill with the right sort of combinations and I think you know the Rangers basically beat the Panthers on the back of some great individual plays and obviously a a great performance by the goaltender but you know I I mean I I guess the my question on that is um, you know how do you get that to how do you integrate that into a team concept and how do you make that translate into 
60 minutes of hockey. I mean, like you said, Rob, it seems to be coming in spurts right now, but um, guys are not consistently performing. Yeah, um, I, I guess, I mean, <laughs> all right, I'll just lay it out right now. Uh, so far, I think that Panarin, Strom, Kako actually had their best game probably last night against Florida, believe it or not. They seemed like mm-hmm. the only line that when they came over the boards were, were holding their own. Um, and I personally think that, I, I mean, it's tough to say. I don't want to necessarily just dismiss some of these bottom six players, but it's actually, I just think that when they're put into top six roles, like when Goodrow's popped up there or anything along those lines, I just don't know really what Gallant or Drury or whomever's having these conversations are thinking because I would rather see Afanier up there or even Kako get a little bit more ice time or break up, you know, Panarin, Strom, Kako, because I just think it's almost, <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, mission accomplished to Drury because the bottom six, at least for those first five or six games, and actually the, definitely the fourth line the entire year so far, has been doing pretty well. So yeah. let's let's actually just try to figure out the top six as much as possible because there's a subsequent effect to that, which is Linger and Fox, but we can go into that a little bit. I guess I'll kick it to Becky because I don't want to take the entire time. (laughs) No, I want you to keep talking. You're better at this than I am. Go. (laughs) Enjoy. (laughs) I mean, all right. So let me, let me just lay it out like this. Linger and Fox in the past five games are running below, I think 40, definitely 40%, if not below 35% when it comes to shot share and expected goals. If Lingren and Fox do that, even if Miller and Truba, who are doing great this year because they're limiting less chances against and they're developing offense, that's just not going to work. We can't have two out of we can't have the in theory the uh, top pair not doing that. So yeah, yeah. My point is, Goodrow when he got popped up there with uh, Kreider and Zibanejad, the offense is completely dead from that line. He should not be in the top six. He was. Let's be honest. Yes, he was signed to a contract that we, could, we can reiterate that all day if we want. But his value is going to become from a shutdown role where maybe he chips in some offense if Hedl's doing well or if Blaze catches on or, you know, Gauthier, who we can circle back on him, uh, maybe maybe actually proves himself a little bit. That's where his value is going to come. And then let Hunt, which Dryden Hunt, who are easily, in my opinion, Jury's best signing, actually, um, let Hunt, Rooney, and Reeves go to town on the fourth line like they have been. So let's figure out the top six because – Lingren Fox is not working right now. And I don't think anybody else wants to be tweeting out that maybe we should break up that top four defense. Because <laughs> I do that pretty much on a weekly basis at, at a minimum. Luker, I have a question for you. Important question. Who was the better signing for the Rangers, Dryden Hunt or Brendan Smith? Oh, that is not fair. Now we're just drawing wow. this to Brendan, Brendan Smith Supporters Union, which was established the moment he got switched to forward. <laughs> um, I would actually say, I would actually say, uh, Dryden Hunt so far only because look, Smith had a rough go and he, uh, definitely got, well, I don't know. He would, he would have been a fine seventh D for this team, but I also probably wouldn't have been advocating for him to be on the third pair before the season. So I got to go Dryden Hunt right now. He's been as advertised really good by low signing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is just one, he just seems to me like that's what they wanted or thought Brett Howden could be for them. Once it became clear that he was not a top six center and that he probably isn't a center at all, I think they were hoping he could kind of become a grinded out, you know, um, high possession winger, like, which is exactly what Dryden Hunt is. I mean, he he's wins every puck battle. I mean, it really is. If you just want to go into sort of like hockey man speak, just watch him play. He wins every puck battle. The puck always is moving in the right direction once he gets engaged in, you know, in a battle along the boards. And yeah, I mean, look, I... I 
Um, look, Reeves is slow, but he, he he's not clueless with the puck on his stick, and he kind of knows where to go. His hits are well-timed. And then Rooney's a really solid 4C. So, I mean, I love that fourth line, and I think, you know, it's, it's kind of the issue of depth, which Dave brought up in one of his, you know, recent blog posts, is that, you know, when Heedle goes out, you know, with an injury, you don't want to break up that fourth line. Now, Gallant didn't last night. He had Goodrow playing 3C, uh, which I thought was okay. Obviously, it didn't work that well, but nothing really worked well last night. Um, but I agree with you, Rob, in the sense that, you know, Barkley Goodrow can't be getting top six minutes. And, you know, the, the solution really is um, live and die by the commitment you've made to Kako and Lafreniere to me, right? You, you made the Buchnevich trade, fine. That's, you know, I don't want to litigate that. And it's certainly not our style at Blue Seat Blogs. And we're not going to, you know, we haven't really talked about it much on, on this podcast either the trade was made we can all agree the return was was more than underwhelming uh sammy blaze had some nice moments he might chip in some some big goals and, and plays throughout the year um he fits the mold of a bottom sixer but uh that the the current rangers current mold of a bottom sixer i should say um but this whole thing hinges on kako and lafreniere fulfilling their potential so to me put them in the top six leave them there give them 15 to 17 or 18 minutes of ice every night and see what they can do um Becky, I don't know how you feel about that. You know, do you, do you, do you, I guess, let me ask you this. How do you feel when, what's your reaction when a guy like Lafreniere gets moved down the lineup? You know, he was on the fourth line a couple of games ago. That caused a big stir. Does that not sit well with you or are you kind of just like, hey, that's a young player going through it? Where do you kind of land on that, on that issue? Because every coach does it. So I don't, I don't love it. I didn't lose my mind when he was, you know, there for a game, like, okay, fine, whatever. Uh, As long as it's not a forever thing, okay. But I do think that, and I mean, you know, look, like Gallant, again, still learning his style. He sat Niels Lundqvist, and I thought that that was okay. Like, I'd prefer you, and this is a bold take here, but I'd prefer that you bench Lafreniere for a game because in my mind, in my mind, when you're putting someone on, I've never played the game, but if you're putting someone on the fourth line, you're essentially punishing them because they're only going to, they're not going to really contribute. They're only playing like eight minutes, you know, also like exactly what you just said, it ruins it. There's no need to do that with the fourth line. I know that Reeves was out and now he's back, but like our fourth line is actually doing exceptionally well. They're doing exactly what a fourth line should be doing. And they remind me a bit of like the 2014 team. Maybe not so much in contribution yet, but I just I love the fourth line. So I think backing up for a second, I'd rather you just sit Lafreniere for a game if you really want him to kind of see the game holistically and say, like, this is I want you to watch. I want you to see uh, this is what I want from you. And this is what we're getting versus putting him on the fourth line. I just think it kind of makes no sense. It's, it's like having a really talented, you know, uh, prospect brought up to be the seventh D and just sit there. I'd rather that you're in the AHL playing and then you come up and, and can contribute when you come up. I don't see the point in playing seven minutes and I don't see the point in taking like, you know, like having the others on the fourth line then be elevated. If you want to play the, this player more than seven minutes, it just doesn't sit well with me when Lafreniere did sit the other game. Fine or not sit when he was on the fourth line the other game, fine. You know, it's it was temporary, fine. But um yeah, I just that's 
I don't I don't have like the visceral reaction that other people have, but it's also not um, it's not yet a trend because it's too early in the season to be a trend at this point. Can I, yeah. can I, add I mean, something? Go ahead, Rob. Yeah. yeah, no, can I just, cause I, I want to support back in this. Cause I mean, I, I would completely agree. So I just, I'm just on involving hockey.com and I've got it sorted for Rangers forwards that have played 30 minutes, individual expected goals per 60, which just means basically scoring chances coming off their stick. Now, I'll just preface it with, of course, this sometimes is a combination of the lines, but it's still an individual choosing to shoot or making a shot happen in some way, shape, or form. I think we can all agree on that. Lafreniere mm-hmm. ranks fourth, fourth among forwards at 0.69. Nice. Uh, IXG for 60. <laughs> now, typically a good season-long number is 0.7, and I'm talking good meaning like top 30% of forwards in the league. So – and I'd have to split this out, but I'd be willing to bet that most of those chances did not come when he was in the bottom six, but rather came when he was riding with Zabanajad um, and Kreider for those first six games of the year. So yeah. I, I agree with Becky. Why why put him down in the fourth line? I mean, if you sorted this list, it makes complete sense. It basically sorts itself by time on ice, meaning top six forwards are creating more individual expected goals than bottom six forwards. Now, Barca Goodrow ranks 10th and 10th, and for some reason he got popped up to the top line. And then we all wonder why maybe the offense went away. Well, it's just, I, I, I just, I agree with Becky. I just don't, if you, if you want to sit him to, to try to, you know, make him see a larger view, sure. But do it once and then tell him now you're going to play 20 minutes tonight. Go get it. Absolutely. No. And that's really, that's really interesting. You know, st- you know, stat Robin. And obviously um, I agree with you too, Becky. I think that, um, we also have to remember just how long this the process takes, and it and it is a it is not a, a linear path for for most kids. And you know, it's also I know a lot of people are going nuts now about like Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider and some of the other prospects that have come out. Jack Hughes, obviously, even though he's he's injured. Um, and and there's a larger question here, which we won't get into tonight, about if it's the Rangers' fault if they're just not good at developing prospects. But I don't think it would be the worst thing to sit a guy if he really is struggling too. And and that's the other thing too, is that, you know, coaches may, may nitpick one or two mistakes and then say, Oh, I'm going to bench this guy now, or I'm going to, I'm going to scratch him when they've actually outside of the one, you know, neutral zone, neutral zone turnover they had, they actually created three or four scoring chances on the night. And they sort of discard that because of the, you know, recency bias of, of the, the, the turnover that they made in the third period. I don't think Gallant has done that, but that is definitely a, a fallacy that, um, some coaches fall prey to. Um, but I would definitely, uh, I, I agree with the idea of sitting a guy and just saying, Hey, look, we're giving you the night off. take a breather. You're a young kid, watch the game and then get ready to get back in there with fresh legs and in, in a couple of nights. Um, look, we kind of been, we had kind of been going down this road anyway, but you know, we've recapped the last three games. Uh, we've gotten into the discussion about how, you know, things can be fixed. So the Rangers have a, a four day break They're They're, they're, they're in the mid, the midst of a, of a four day break, uh, you know. Right now, their next game isn't until Saturday night against Columbus on the road, and then they actually come right back home the next night uh, on Sunday to play the Devils, who have been surprisingly decent. That will not be an easy game at all. Um, but w- Becky, we open it up to Twitter. the 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 Blue Seats Live Twitter account actually has over two hundred followers now. You've done great work on that, so congratulations. Um, I don't know so, what you're talking about. That wasn't me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that no, I know. That, that's true. It was our intern. I forgot about that. Uh, I know. Well, and we're not, yeah, we're not supposed to reveal the identity of the intern either. 
Um, I totally blew the cover there. Um, but no, we, you know, we basically put it out to the world to say, Hey, listen, you know, what would you do? You've got four days with this team. Um, you're Gerard Gallant, you're Chris Drury. You know, what, what changes are you making now? Most people are obviously going to go with lineup combinations. You know, you know, Rob, we, we will get a little bit more of your thoughts on this as well. You've sort of alluded to them already, but, um, Becky, why don't you give us some of what the Twitter world has, has thrown out, uh, you know, for us. And let's, uh, let's hear what the, uh, what the fans have to say about it. All right. So the question was, what changes would you make if you were New York Rangers head coach Gerard Gallant to address the team's issues with everything other than goaltending? So our buddy Immortal Lou. Immortal Lou. Let's go take a shot just for S&G. Said proper player deployment has to be priority number one. Laugh back in the top six and Goodrow in the bottom six. Keep Gautier and Lundqvist in the lineup for the added offensive upside. I'd also give the offensively gifted players more leash to be creative. They seem stifled in the system. So Lou seems to be agreeing with you, Luker. Um, get Goodrow down. Put yeah, put laugh up. Yep. I mean, I, I agree with him. He's on the he's he's on my glad I called that guy list. He's seen the size of that guy's <laughs> arms, like Jesus. But yes, no, I, I agree with him. Yep. Let, let's ask. Let me let me get into one thing about that though. Because it's a really interesting point, uh, and it's kind of buried at the bottom there, Gautier. So, what is Julian Gautier's place on this team? Because I can't figure it out. So that's a, just a genuine question from me. I don't know, Rob, if you have any thoughts on that. Uh, yeah, why don't we start with you? Because you did mention him earlier as well. What is his place? And I mean, the guy is a scoring chance machine. I think we we you know he he pretty much creates offense. Uh, individually at some point in every single game he plays, but he can't seem to stay in the lineup um, and he doesn't really seem to fit naturally anywhere in, in, in the current roster. So what do they do with him? So, yeah, I also tweeted this out as the Florida game because he kind of stood out because basically he's played four games, 40 minutes, 41 minutes at five on five, and he ranks second in individual expected goals per 60, uh, only mm-hmm. behind Kreider and in front of mm-hmm. Philip Heedle. Mm-hmm. So the reason I mentioned that is because – with, if Heedle's out come Saturday, they're going to need another forward. And I think Gauthier uh, could absolutely plug into the top six rather than Sammy Blaze or Goodrow or whomever. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm also okay with Lafreniere going up there, but Gauthier could then easily be on the third line. Because basically in four games, he's probably taken it to the rack just straight off the ring or straight off the wing two or three times at least. He's, he's making stuff happen because he is that fast. He is definitely probably – not that – he's probably a liability defensively. But, I mean, in theory, if you put him with Goudreau on his wing or, honestly, with the Zabanjan and Kreider line, I don't think he's – I mean, I don't know. For a team that's desperate with offense, he's the only one that's actually he, – he's one of the few ones making things happen off his stick. So, I think that just should be considered at this point. Whether it sticks around, probably not long-term, but right now he's flying. So, I say I say give him a shot. Yeah, I mean, and it, certainly for me at least, it's better than – Greg McKegg. I mean, actually, if, if look, if Kevin Rooney ever got hurt, let's hope not, because I really I like Kevin Rooney and think he's solid at what they asked him to do. That's where you put a guy like McKegg in, right? He's kind of a dependable f- replacement level, fourth center, fourth line center penalty killer. But, um, you know, there were some earlier injuries. I can't remember off the top of my head now where McKegg got into the lineup before Gautier. And I was kind of like, oh, that doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense because that bumped Rooney up to the third line. It broke up the fourth line and it had kind of had that domino effect. Um I'd like to see more of more of Gautier. I think he I think he can contribute. He also strikes me as a Gallant type player. The other thing that Lou mentions there is, 
you know, creativity being stifled in the system. I mean, my impressions of Gerard Gallant, and especially looking at the way his Vegas teams played, but even some of the Florida teams, they were a lot of offense. I mean, Vegas, especially the two full years that he coached them, they were they were a fast, aggressive, you know, again, high uh, scoring chance, high, um, you know, shot attempt team, especially his second full season. I think they might have led the league in, um, in Corsi and they were up there in expected goals. So and look, they had good rosters, no doubt. Uh, you know, that, that was a really well-built team, um, even though it was an expansion team. But um, Gautier seems like a gallant type player. He seems like he can play that style. Um, and, and, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of curious as to why we haven't seen more of that type of hockey from the Rangers, especially offensively. Look, if, if you're, if you're running and gunning and giving up chances, that's one thing, but they're, they're not running at all or gunning. So they're neither running nor gunning. That's kind of what's, what's concerning. Very much Um, sitting, (laughs) sitting, sitting and waiting and, and, and hoping for Igor Shesterkin to stop it. Um, all right, cool. So what else do we have from Twitter there, Becky? Well, we have a couple more and I know we have at least one question, so I'm going to. Let's go through them. So our very own Tyler says, let Capo Caco ride shotgun with Mika Zibanejad on the top line at five on five to break his scoreless cycle. Let Lafreniere be a one-timer shooting option on the top power play unit. The kid has never gotten a point on the power play in his career for heaven's sake. It's just so pure for heaven's sake. Um, I I actually kind of love that, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I kind of I kind of well, like what, the idea. I think Zibanejad's great, so that's just me except for when he took that stupid penalty the other night. But anyway, go on. Um, are you talking about the power play piece where we're putting Lafreniere on the power play? Well, I actually, I agree with both pieces of right. those. So the yeah. Kako on the Spanish ad line and Lafreniere on the top power play. Yeah. And I think in that instance, you'd be removing Strom from that unit, which is, which is fine. I mean, Strom, you know, kind of plays a, a facilitator role only, you know, kind of off the right boards there. And, and the idea is, pull Lafreniere in that position and let him just rip one-timers, you know, opposite Panarin. Yeah, um, and Russ actually said, Russ said the same thing. So just to kind of put them together, right, like our very own Russ, Russell Hartman once said, laugh to the right while spot on power play one, please God, enough with Strom there. So. Yep. What's interesting to me about the power play, I'll just say this, and I agree with the guys, and I, and I think that um, power plays are very volatile anyway. Um, the power play has been working. So, and, and a lot of that's been due to Kreider. I think he has every yeah. power play goal, but one, um, Kreider has been incredible. And I think he deserves credit for bringing his total and complete a game all season. Um, and that's been an issue with him consistency in his career. So great to see that he's, you know, and, and look at how long it takes for him. I mean, he's in his what 10th year and now he's, you know, figured out how to be a consistent sort of top six NHL player and, and a, an elite net front goal scorer. Um, it takes time, but, um, the power play has been working and there is a lot of talent out there. So, um, and I think, you know, Rob, you'd agree with this. The tweaks really need to, uh, the focus needs to be five on five because that's where the Rangers have been, have been getting killed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I hear everybody on Lafreniere being on power play one. Th- that's fine. I think maybe save that for when it goes cold. Cause frankly, right now that, that power play is technically working. <laughs> I mean, even it, you could sort player by player and they're all creating, <laughs> I'll throw this out there. Artemi Panarin struggling at five on five, but he is thriving on the power play in, in the sense of creating <laughs> chances and shots. So that's that's a little hot take. Maybe we can circle back on. But I guess my point is, yeah, I, it's fine. I guess you, you tend to see, or at least maybe we've t- tended to see in the last couple of years, that power play one ends up being out there for 90 seconds, which probably mm-hmm. is an NHL wide thing. So you don't really see a lot of power mm-hmm. play two. 
so maybe you start lap there and try to even it up. But I, when it's running that well, I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't spend much more time on it than that. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to agree. So I can um, also, I'm just going to add one more person's question that has to do with Kako um, joining the Zabanage ad line. So Moonman Michael uh, says, he responded with just lines. So he says, Kreider, Zabanajad, Kako, Panarin, Heedle, Blay. Um, just testing myself here with knowing everyone's numbers, which I'm terrible at. Um, Lafreniere, Strom, and Gautier. And then Goodrow, Rooney, and then either, I like don't even know who 29, oh, Hunt or Reeves. Hunt Reeves. Yeah. So, and he says, rip me apart, I'm ready. I don't know that he's going to be ripped apart, um, but let's discuss. So, uh, Sammy Blay probably really shouldn't be in the top six, and I like him a lot, but I don't see any reason why he should be, honestly, mostly because of, like, what Luker said before. Your bottom six are pretty solid bottom six, so let them be bottom six and thrive there, and then kind of figure it out with the top six. So, guys, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate and and agree that if if you could have Barkley Goodrow on your fourth line, that's you're probably really cooking with gas at that point. He clearly has very little offense to his game. Um, his puck decisions have also really bothered me this year because I was expecting a player that would be very smart with the puck, and he's made some really egregious turnovers, including in the Calgary game. That was the last thing I saw before I went to angrily to sleep. Was he tried essentially like a blind drop pass at his own blue line that got picked off and went for a goal. Um, And my immediate thought was like, dude, you are not signed to do anything resembling that. You're supposed to be like the smart, boring defensive forward on this team. And so, you know, that that was a, um, I think, really a moment born out of frustration and desperation, right? Him knowing we're not playing well, trying to make something happen, but it's not going to happen at your own blue line. Anyway, um, would be great to have Goodrow on the fourth line, but also the way the team's constructed, he probably needs to be on the third line. And, and I don't want to break up that fourth line. Um, totally agree about Sammy Blay probably being out of his depth if you're asking him to play a consistent top six role. Um, I'm curious about the strom uh piece of that, where, look, Strom now, we're in season four of Ryan Strom as a New York Ranger, and he has continued to just be nothing but solid to good. Um, and he deserves credit for that. And he, he is now doing it in a year. He did it without Panarin last year due to injuries, COVID, Russian mob hit pieces. Um, he's now doing it with Artemi Panarin having a legitimately bad stretch. Uh, I don't think this is who Artemi Panarin is, but he has been a below average five on five player so far this season. And Strom has been pretty good. Fine, I would say. So it's not a, um, well, he just rides Panarin's coattail situation. I think that that's been proved. Um, that said, I'm not averse to Heedle getting elevated to a 2C role, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, Rob, I know you have some thoughts on this. You're a big Heedle guy, so so definitely want to want want to hear your take. Yeah, it's it's complicated because I mean, I'll, I'll start with yeah, I'm I'm eating crow a little bit on Strom. He continues to play well, and Panarin is not. I mean, again, I think they had their best game against Florida, ironically, but Panarin has not done much at five on five. A lot of broken up passes, a lot of those flip flip saucers across the middle of the ice are getting batted down. Not, not very happy with that. Heedle though, the injury complicates things. What's this? His third injury now. So you gotta, yeah, I'm not going to say you got to ease him back in, but 
to expect him to come in to two C and, and play, you know, close to 18, 20 minutes a night and, and actually succeed with better wingers. Um, I don't know. I just think there's some risk to that. So I would rather actually see him back three C. Uh, and I, I think to kind of circle all the way back to the lines for Moonman, I would say, yes, blaze at the top six, uh, pass, just please put him back down to the bottom six. Um, if you want to get real hot takey, let's uh, put Dryden Hunt up there because all he does is seemingly the right things with the puck instead of the wrong things. So let's try that out. But, or again, go back to the Gautier idea. At least the guy can skate. He's going to be all over the place. I, I, don't, I don't know. This is, this, this, is problem with the, this is the problem with the depth right now of certain wingers or the areas. I still think if I had to line him up all healthy, you still go Zabanez, you had Strom, Heedle. It's what you do with the wingers from there. Um, and, you know, points for creativity, though, I will say that, because that is usually what I'm screaming about is they run out the same pairs or the same combos and they wait too long to change it. And then they go, well, we didn't win any games because we had to find out. Well, or you could have tried earlier. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Easier said than done, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's true. And I mean, you know, uh, this will be in the, in the tradition of this podcast, by the way. It'll, it'll you know, it'll publish on Wednesday morning. That's when folks will start listening. Rangers will practice sometime late Wednesday morning. So all these line combinations and ideas that we're talking about, we're going to we're going to see some things, I think, in practice on Wednesday on Wednesday morning. Um, and I, I do think they're going to really put this thing in, in the blender. I think that Gallant, you know, um, and Drury probably spent a better part of today um diagramming some crazy stuff out uh that that may not look like what we saw in camp i'm looking forward to Lever hayek's return from uh conditioning extent yeah that should be interesting <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. okay what uh, if hayek plays forward oh god <laughs> i'm hiding right now <laughs> he's the Wait, new brendan here's, smith here's a crazy blender someone responded anthony so and at anthony a lot of numbers seven eight seven seven three five six five that's a phone um, number i think it's eight six seven five three zero nine. When Heedle comes back, I'd put him on the wing with Mika and Kreider. Keep Barkley as third line center. I mean, uh, I don't maybe. know. He's in such a yeah. Maybe. Well, yeah. I mean that. I I, I first of that's all that's really I'll, I'll throw it out there. I disagree with Larry Brooks on the whole Heedle's not a center thing. Hard, hard yeah. Just ah, God, whatever. <laughs> I mean, again, points for creativity. As long as ever, I just think that there's a pretty firm line of demarcation between top six and bottom six. So I'm fine yeah. with Hito being on the third line, but yeah, as long as Blaze doesn't pop up for any reason at this point, I just we haven't seen enough of proof that they can do that. Just keep Laugh and Kako up there and try to get the combos right. The only thing that I find interesting about Hito from a stylistic perspective, and I think Steve Valquette said this as well, um, he is a he's a pure shooter. You know, he's, he, he's not a playmaking center. Neither is Zibanejad, although Zibanejad, you know, is going to have in a normal year, 30, 40 assists. Um, but he's a finisher. He's an elite shooter of the puck. He, uh, Valakhet said that actually reminds me of what his quote was. He said, he thinks Hedl is a better one timer even than Zibanejad, which is, which is saying something. Um, and obviously he doesn't get many chances to show it off because he's not on the power play. He's been playing on the third line with usually one or two, you know, subpar players, at least from an offensive perspective. So maybe putting him on the wing with a playmaker isn't the worst idea. I mean, the other idea is to put him out there with Panarin, you know, and have him center Panarin. And that's, that circles you back to the, well, then what happens with Strom idea? But, you know, Strom, look, I mean, if you want to look at building a contending roster, 
Strom's probably the 3C on a true contender. He's probably not the 2C because true contenders have more of a middle six, right? As opposed to a firm line of demarcation between their top six and bottom six. I think even we always talk about with obviously in very fond terms, the 2014 Rangers had kind of the perfect mix, right? Where that Broussard, Zuccarello, Pouliot line was their third line, but was probably one of the best offensive line in the entire NHL. I mean, they, and they just feasted on those soft, you know, middle and, and bottom of lineup matchups that they got because Stepan took the tough matchups. Brad Richards took on more of a, you know, defensive sort of shutdown role on that team with Hagelin. And I think St. Louis was on the line uh, in, the, in the playoffs once they got into that, um, you know, once they got into their run. So um, the Rangers aren't really built like that right now. They do not have that type of offense that they can put on their third line. So um, look, I think there there's definitely some tinkering they can do with uh, Stroman Heedle uh, and flipping their their spots in the lineup. But the Heedle injury, as you said, Rob, really, really compl- uh, complicates things. Right. All right. And then the only other thing was uh, Bill to Spill says, sink or swim with laugh. He needs a major uptick in TI, even if his best current usage is on the line with Heedle. Pump up that ice time on the power play, which I don't disagree with. No, I, I'd like to see him get more more run in general. And I, I think that'll be part of the game plan moving forward. I really do. Um, you know, I, they've just put too much stock now into those guys for better or worse with the Buchnevich trade, with the Kravtsov mess. Kako and, and Lafreniere have to come through. There's no other way to put it. And look, that's a lot of pressure on these guys. I think that's part of the reason that the Rangers have played it slow with them, tried to ease them in. Uh, you know, again, putting Lafreniere on the fourth line. I think, you know, Gallant got very defensive with Molly Walker, if you remember when he was asked about, you know, Lafreniere playing on the fourth line. And um, I didn't care for his response, but his the tenor of the response was give the kid a break. You know, and I think that's what he was trying to do was was take a little bit of the pressure off his shoulders. And I think Gallant is known as a player's coach, so I appreciate that from him. But totally agree on on Lafreniere. Um, I just don't know what they can, can do to get him and Kako going. I mean, poor Kako has zero points. Um, they've got to try and get them going. Uh, can I just jump in? I just think if they if they just go back to Lafreniere in the top line with Zabanja and Kerr, like I was saying, and again, if Strom, mm-hmm. Panarin, and Kako, which has shown life before, give that a little bit run. They, they haven't actually given that a top six run yet. So give that a little bit of run because all the offense needs to do is be at, around average because then basically with the support of Fox and Linger and the Miller and Truber, Truba, you're probably at average. And then also you have Shesterkin, by the way, top, I mean, top two goaltender, top three goaltender this year in, in the NHL so far. I mean, you can win games doing that and let the bottom six be the bottom six. I, I just don't think it's that complicated. <laughs> yeah. Totally agree. I, I think we have one more question. Becky, what is it? Oh, this is my favorite. And so this is not a response to like, what would you do? This is just our typical like questions, you know, hey, let us know. Um, Coach Connell, our very own, says, what's your go-to cocktail? Liquor, neat, or on the rocks does not count. And then he says, mine is an old-fashioned. So I don't know, Luke, or you're new. But what's your favorite cocktail? You stole my drink. I mean, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a beer guy, but when I do go for a drink, it's usually an old-fashioned. Um, Knob Creek Maple uh, has been a choice of the past few falls. Ooh. But, yeah, I got a few wedding gifts that I need to dip into. But, yeah, I just finished a new Glarus Oktoberfest. That's always – those are always good that time, this time of year. So, yeah, I, I would say old-fashioned or a, 
a, a hearty beer, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob. I'm in the same fam- family, but it's a uh, it's a Manhattan. Um, I make them at home regularly. Uh, although this is a funny story, and I'll let everybody into my our, our personal life a little bit. So Becky and I moved into this apartment that we live in uh, about a year and a half ago, and there's one box that we moved in here with that has been unopened, which I think is typical right there. Everybody has that box. Um, mine is the bar and liquor bar supplies and liquor supply. Um, and so, you know, we, I, I, I drink beer and, you know, we have wine and stuff like that, but we never found a place to put it. You know, we just had a kid. And so my supplies for making cocktails and my, my good bottles of, you know, bourbon and, and, and rye whiskey and, and all that stuff are, are still away, locked away or taped in a, in a box. Um, I probably should break it out and make myself in Manhattan, especially now that the, the weather is getting colder again. But that is my go-to cocktail. So, Becky, you're up. Um, so I when I'm out and I don't make these at home, I just I don't really I oddly enough don't really drink at home. But if I do, it's just wine or like the occasional like high noon because I unfortunately just don't like beer. Um, I like a penicillin. Um, I like it a lot. Because, so I don't I don't even know. Like, it, is that like a common like does everyone know what that is? I was going to ask, well, is that exclusively from a spring break trip or I, I'm, I'm lost? <laughs> no, it's 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 actually it's it's a whiskey drink. And it actually so the beauty of it, it's it's scotch. It's blended scotch. It's lemon. It's honey and ginger. So it's like a little sweet. But then what they put on top and like you're supposed to like layer it on top is a single malt scotch. So it gets that really smoky flavor. And I really like a very smoky scotch. Like if I'm going to go with a liquor and it's not like a vodka or a gin, just like a mixer, you know, you're at a wedding and you're just pounding gin and tonics, like whatever. Um, I like I like a very smoky, like a very peaty scotch. Um, and so it's it cuts the sweetness. But if I'm at a cocktail bar, if I'm at a place that they can properly make a cocktail and not like, you know, I'm not talking about like your feet sticking to the floor bars. Um I like a penicillin. Yeah. I'm, I'm sold. It's a great drink. I want to get, I want to get yeah. one of these when I come to the city in the spring. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. We'll have to like, we'll find, we'll do a BSB thing. We'll find like a really, a good cocktail bar to do it. Cause it's excellent. Just so excellent. But it also, and this is going to be an explicit podcast. It really fucks you up. So <laughs> yeah. Straight on the liquor. Um. <laughs> <laughs> No, this was a lot of fun, Rob. We really appreciate appreciate you coming on, pinch hitting for Dave. Obviously, um, you are welcome back anytime. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'll leave with this. Patrick Nemeth needs to channel the inner Brendan Smith third pair effectiveness. <laughs> um, we did not visit him, but let's give him a little more time. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> totally agree. I thought that was a good signing. I think he'll, he'll be better. I think the Rangers will be better too, so we'll uh... – We'll see how it goes. It should be an interesting weekend coming up. Um, Live from the Blue Seats is a production of Blue Seat Blogs. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We're currently available on iTunes and Spotify. If you can spare a minute, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps other fans find the show. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Seats Live and check out blueseatblogs.com, the longest running fan site for all things Rangers, from news and opinion to video analysis and more. For Becky and Rob Luker, this is Rob signing off. We'll see you next week.